Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Father, thank You again for allowing us to read Your Word in our native language. What a privilege. How many souls have died and gone to hell because they do not have the privilege of what we just did in the last minute. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That You would choose us to be born in this place at this time with such free access to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank You that we can hear the words of Christ. We pray that we would spend our time well together now as we meditate upon them. We pray, Lord Jesus, that You would help us to hear and see all that You want us to hear and see from Your words. We pray, Holy Spirit, that You would be with us, that You would guide us and lead us, that You would help us rightly divide the Word of God and think about it together. And we pray, Lord God, that You would apply this Word to our hearts, that You would truly change us. Lord, that we would grow in Christ's likeness today. And so God, help us give You and Your Word our attention. For Jesus' sake, Amen. In the parable of the amazing grace of the owner of the vineyard, often called the uh, parable of the workers in the vineyard, we saw several weeks ago, that in the kingdom of heaven, there will be no sinful comparisons or working your way to heaven or uh, 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 earning heaven. There will be none of that. We, we saw that God always does what's right. 
maybe, I mean, from our perspective, even especially when we don't like what He's doing, He does what's right all the time. God is absolutely sovereign and free to give grace to whom He pleases. We thought about that this morning in Sunday school in Romans 9. God says, I have mercy on whom I have mercy and have compassion on whom I have compassion. God is extravagantly generous So we should be thankful and amazed by His grace. And all God's children are fundamentally equal in His sight. That was about three weeks ago. Then two weeks ago, we saw Jesus focus His disciples' hearts and minds on the first and primary reality that will make all of this amazing grace that we receive possible. The deliverance, sufferings, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And that brings us to today. Today we see that Jesus teaches suffering and sacrifice must come before honor and true greatness is found in humbly serving others even as He did when He gave the ultimate example of service His death on that cross. That's the point of the sermon today. We see Jesus teaches That suffering and sacrifice come before honor and true greatness is found in humbly serving others even as He did when He gave the ultimate example of service, His death on the cross. Point number one, Jesus' disciples and all men have a relentless desire to be great and to be first. Jesus' disciples and all men have a relentless desire to be great and to be first. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, those are the sons of Zebedee, and their mother come to Jesus asking for greatness. In Mark's Gospel, James and John come asking this question of Jesus. And in Matthew, we learn that they got their mother's help too. And many scholars believe that their mother is actually Mary, Jesus' mother's sister, so they're cousins of Jesus. And so it seems uh, as if they're trying to uh, pull uh, some family rank uh, and family position to get Jesus to do something for them. And so James, John, their mother, they come to Jesus, they're asking for greatness. They're asking for the honor and privilege of sitting at the right and left hand of Jesus in His kingdom. They want to share in the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Well, what's good about this question? What's good about this? Is there anything good about this question? Yes. (laughs) There are some good aspects of this question. Number one, they know that Jesus is a king. They know that He has a kingdom. They know that Jesus is going to rule. And so they're asking to sit with Him on His right and left hand. This is good. See their faith in this. 
We, we want to see their, their faith in this. That They know He's a king. They know He has a kingdom. And they want to be a part of it. They were told it's part of their reward uh, is going to be uh, that they will reign with Him, right? We saw that when um, uh, he, he, he answered Peter after the rich young ruler episode. And, and so, here they come asking. It's like they want shotgun. They want first. They want first place. But, but, but notice the good things about this. They believe He's a king. They believe there's a kingdom. Uh, and He's going to rule and reign. Maybe, secondly, they want to be near Jesus. That's a good thing. To want to be near Christ. To be close to Christ. Or, do they just want the power and honor and prestige? Do they just want to be great? Jesus knows that their question is about being first and great because of the way He answers them down in verses 26-27, through 27, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Jesus just had gently rebuked His disciples for this kind of desire. Jesus goes over this kind of thing with the disciples over and over and over again. This should give us great hope. Beloved, do you, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you feel sometimes like your growth in sanctification is slow? That you go back to the same sin over and over and over again. I want you to see the hope that, that, that Jesus gives you in this, that His disciples go back to the same sin over and over and over again. And Jesus doesn't write them off. He, 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 he doesn't lose his temper and get angry and, and, and cleanse out the temple and get angry like he did with the Pharisees. There's something different between Jesus and the disciples. There's something different between him and his own. He loves his own. He's patient with his own. He brings them along gradually. He, he, he shows patience and love and compassion as he continues to bear with them in this desire for greatness. He just dealt with this. And yet he continues to bear with them and love them and patiently care for His disciples. Remember what He said in Matthew 19.30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. For, and then He tells the parable that we saw of the, the amazing grace of the vineyard owner, the workers in the vineyard, where everybody finishes at the same time. No matter how hard they work, long they work, what they did, they all finish at the same time. And that parable ends with Matthew 20.16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. And we heard from John MacArthur, the only way the first are last and the last are first is if everyone finishes the race at the same time. Jesus had just dealt with this. And here after that, they come and ask, can we be first? Can we be on your throne? Could you imagine, I mean, can, can, how many of you teach people something over and over and over and over again, and then they react some way that totally is the opposite of what you just taught them? How do you respond? I know how I respond sometimes, and it ain't good. I need to learn from Jesus. I need to become more Christ-like. Because Jesus had just dealt with this. The disciples are preoccupied with this desire for greatness. Jesus dealt with this in Matthew 18. Remember Matthew 18, 1-4? At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus dealt with this then. When they're asking, who's the greatest? And Jesus says, we must turn. We must turn from this desire for the praise of men. We must turn from trusting in ourselves. We must turn from pride. We must turn from wanting to be God and having our own way. We must be born again. We must repent. We must cry out to God like little needy babies and hope fully and totally in God. As David Platt put it, to be a citizen of the kingdom, you must become a child of the king. You must turn from yourself and trust in the Father. Like a child, you thrust yourself upon God and confess your need for Him. Friend, I wonder if you've done that today. Have you done that today? If you're here and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's something we would want for you more than anything else today. Is that you see this kind of pride in your heart that wants to be great. That wants to put down others to make yourself look better. That always wants to have the upper level. That wants to be thought of by everybody else as wonderful and great. That's why we hide behind masks and, and we, 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 we lie. and We want everyone to think well of us. The Bible says all of us have sinned this way. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we sin against God in our pride. We try to fill that empty void of building ourselves up with all kinds of other sins, sexual morality, promiscuity, drugs, alcohol, selfishness. The Bible teaches that we are sinners. That we've broken God's laws and commandments. And because of this, we, we do deserve hell. We do deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment. But, but friend, the good news for you, unbeliever here this morning, is that God loves sinners. He, 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 he didn't come for the strong and, and, and righteous. He, he didn't come for those who've got it all together. He came for losers. He came for failures. He came for the broken. He, he came for those who know they can't do it on their own, who know that they've sinned against Him. And He sent Jesus into the world. The God-man. The Lord of glory. The Son of God. Fully God and fully man. And, and this God-man Jesus, He is the one who never sinned in pride. He never sinned in pride. He, he was the humble servant. Lived a perfectly obedient life. And then died on that cross where He suffered God's wrath and curse and judgment. He was buried. Three days later, He rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell so that all who turn from their sins and believe in Him shall be saved. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to, to make God love you. He, he's, he loves you. And He sent His Son to die for you. Friend, this is the good news of the Gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. If you have questions about that Gospel, I'll be here afterwards. There are other believers who would love to speak with you. We want you to trust Christ. Because He's our only hope. 
He is our only hope and He comes into our lives by His Spirit and helps us fight with these desires to be the greatest. These desires to be better than the other guy. Desires to be the best. Desires to be first. And, 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 and have the praise of man. In this question of the disciples and their mother, we must be warned of using Jesus to get what we really want. In this question of disciples and their mother, we must be warned of using Jesus to get what we really want. We, what we really want is our God. Prosperity preachers, use Jesus like this. Come to Jesus and He'll give you money. Come to Jesus and He'll give you health. Come to Jesus and He'll give you wealth. But we can do the same thing in the evangelical church. Come to Jesus and He'll fix your life. Come to Jesus and He'll fix your marriage. Come to Jesus and He'll fix your drug problem. He'll help you get your family back. We can use Jesus to get what we really want. I just want a happy marriage. I, I just want children that listen and obey. I just want peace and quiet. And if Jesus will give me that, I'll try Jesus. We use Jesus as a means to an end. We, we can be tempted to do that. And... and this episode between Jesus and His disciples and their mother warns us about this. Jesus' disciples are not idolaters like the Pharisees, but they do have mixed motives. And we must beware of loving God's gifts more than we love God Himself. May we know and feel and, and believe and speak like the psalmist. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Psalm 43, 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Psalm 16, 2. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Psalm 37.4 Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Children! Children! Do you, do you, do you, do you get that? What, what, what delights your heart, young people? You know, just name it, name it under your breath. What really gets you excited? Like if, 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 if your parents told you we're going to do this tonight and you, woo! I mean, you're just so happy now. You can't wait. What, what really gets you excited? Is it, is it winning the, the baseball championship? That makes you dance. Is it, is it dreaming of being uh, a player in the NFL or dreaming of being a player in Major League Baseball? Some, some dream you have. If you could just achieve that, you would be so happy. Woo, it would be amazing. Is it that game you like? Or that illustration I love to use is that video online that you can see of a little baby tasting ice cream for the first time. This, this baby has ice cream and, and the baby puts uh, her lips up to it and her eyes, boom! It's, it's, it's like something happens and she takes the ice cream and... Blah! 
Young people, God is to be that for you. God is to be that for you. Not ice cream, not baseball, not football, not entertainment. God is to be that for you. God is to be your joy. Pray for that. Pray for that at a young age. Parents, pray that for your children. That God would be their joy and delight. And then they can enjoy all those other things. Football and baseball and ice cream. In a right way that's not idolatrous. Beloved, notice this in our text also. And I've, I've made this point before in other sermons. But what we ask God for reveals what's in our hearts. What, what we ask God for in our prayers reveals what's in our hearts. What do you pray for? What do you long to have from God more than anything else? Remember Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings 3, 15 through thir- uh, 5 through 13, 1 Kings 3, 5 through 13, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. The disciples, we know what they would want. God, God does the asking this time. <laughs> Ask Solomon whatever you want. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child. And do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen. Great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Verse 10, The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth, for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. He's a little child, just like Jesus had taught the disciples to be in chapter 18 of Matthew. And he asked for wisdom and God says, I'll give you that and everything you didn't ask for. Beloved, God knows our hearts by the way we pray. What do you pray for? Beloved, this is one reason I encourage you over and over again to pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. Are you scared to pray in large groups? You don't have to be. Just pick up your Bible and look at a verse and read it and pray what it says. Pray what it says. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Jesus was hungry. And he talks about the fig tree and authority. Lord, please help me to trust in your authority. Please help me to trust that you rule and reign. Please help me to trust your judgments are good and righteous. Please help me. For Jesus' sake, amen. Just pick up the Bible and pray it. Pray what you read about. Pray the Psalms. 
Pray what we're studying today. Lord, help me to be a servant. Help me to be a slave. Lord, show me what it means to be a slave. Pray the Bible. Point number two. Jesus teaches that suffering and sacrifice must come before honor. Look at verses 22 through 23. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Jesus informs James and John that they have no idea what they're asking. <laughs> Jesus is like, you, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're asking. Beloved, remember what Jesus' disciples do in His greatest hour of need. They all run away. <laughs> they have no idea what they're asking. <laughs> oh yes! We can drink the cup. It's like, Peter, I'll never deny you. I'll die with you. And then when, it, when the rubber meets the road, run away, run away, run away. Don't know Him. Don't know Him. Don't know Him with curses and swearing. Don't know Him. They have no idea what they're talking about. Yes, we can drink your cup. Okay. <laughs> okay. They don't realize the amount of deep suffering it will take for them to be great. To be first. They don't realize that first the cross and then the crown. We so often, we, we so often want the glory without the suffering and work. You, you young people who have these dreams of being professional athletes, discipline, 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 how hard you working? You gotta work, work, work. It just doesn't come. We, we want the glory without the sweat and hard work. We want to be like Jesus without the cross. First the cross, then the crown. There is a sense in which these disciples cannot drink the cup Jesus will drink. There is a sense in which these disciples cannot drink the cup that Jesus will drink. Jesus was on His way to drink the cup of His Father's infinite wrath and curse and judgment on that cross. Remember, this is this cup that Jesus is going to drink on the cross. He prayed not once, not twice, but three times. If there's any other way, Father, take this cup away from me. And He did that because the righteous, holy, perfect man hates sin like no man has ever hated sin. And so he says, if there's any other way, take it away because he knew he would be made sin. It was right for Jesus to pray that. Jesus prayed that way because he's the only man who ever truly, perfectly feared God. And Jesus said, fear him who can gasp both body and soul in hell. So Jesus had to ask it to be taken away because he perfectly feared God. And Jesus delighted in his father's presence like no man ever did. And so it was righteous, holy and good. Take this away, Lord. You are my joy. You are my delight. You are my everything. If there's any other way, God, do it because you are my lover. The lover of my soul. It was right for him to pray that. It wasn't his human weakness. It was his absolute human perfection is the reason he prayed that prayer in Gethsemane three times. But he said, not my will. Your will be done. Not my will. Your will be done. And he drank that cup. 
the cup, it is the wrath of God. Jeremiah 25, 15. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand the cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. That is the wrath of God Jesus drank for us. Nobody else can drink that cup. Nobody else. And so there is a sense in which the disciples cannot drink that cup which Jesus drank. But there is a sense as well in which they can and will drink the cup Jesus would drink. Namely, they would suffer for obedience to Christ. They would suffer. They would suffer for obedience to Christ. Jesus tells them, you will drink my cup. You will drink my cup. There is a sense in which they will and did drink the cup of suffering for Christ. Yes, they did flee in Jesus' greatest time of need, but something happened. <laughs> something happened. Young people, if you ever wonder whether the Bible's true and why Jesus and not all these other people, this is a really good reason. The disciples... <laughs> Uh, 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 ran away from Jesus. They abandoned Jesus. They betrayed Jesus. They left Him. They, they cursed knowing Him. They, they denied knowing Him, Peter did. They were running and hiding, scared. And then something happened. Something happened and they began to boldly proclaim Jesus and die for Him. What happened? How do you explain that? The resurrection. The resurrection happened. He rose from the dead and they saw Him and they were transformed and they preached the truth of the Gospel. And, and, and James, James is the first disciple to be martyred. Acts 12, 1-2. He, King Herod, had James, the brother, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. John was exiled because of his faithful obedience to Christ. Revelation 1.9 I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. They were willing to suffer and die for Jesus. They did drink the cup in that sense. And beloved, notice this. This fact totally contradicts the false prosperity gospel. You will not have your best life now <laughs> if you come to Jesus. You should consider the cost. You, you, you should consider the pain. You should consider the suffering. The Bible says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus told them, you will drink the cup. But then, Jesus also tells them that He cannot grant them this request. Because God the Father determines who will sit near Jesus. Look at verse 23. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Now, a little side point here. Jesus, God the Son, is distinct from God the Father. You see that in this text? You read the book of John, you see this all over the place. But you see it, you see it here. 
You see it in Matthew 20, 23. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been granted by my Father. They are distinct persons. Father and Son. Geno Jennings is wrong. Modalists are wrong. I need to add to my shirt, Jesus is God and He ain't the Father. i got to get one like that now. And then put the Athanasian Creed on the back in small letters. Jesus is God, not the Father. And secondly, notice that it's God who determines greatness and gives honor. God does this. God gives greatness and honor. God sets the terms of who's first. You see this throughout Scripture. And when we have to learn to trust God about this, this will help you be content, brothers and sisters, in the way God has made you, in the gifts God has given you, in the place God has set you. Genesis 12, 2, God says to Abram, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Genesis 39, 2, Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Moses, Exodus 7.1, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Joshua, Joshua 4.14, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him. Daniel 1.9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chiefs, chief of the eunuchs. 1 Samuel 2, 6-8, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Psalm 75, 6-7, For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Jesus tells His disciples, God, His Father does this. And we can trust Him to do it right. Well, notice how the other ten respond to this. Jesus' disciples are angry with jealous envy. Look at verse 24. And so, they see all this happening. This is not done in secret. Mom comes with her sons make their appeal to Jesus. The ten are around hearing this. They see what's happening and they, they get mad. Verse 24, And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. The other ten disciples were very angry. Indignant means very angry. Very angry at James and John for asking this question and putting their mother up to asking this question. Because they all wanted the high place. Right? Parents, I don't know how big the shotgun seat is in the car, but, but I've seen children get upset because they want shotgun. They want first place. This is, again, not new for the disciples. They struggle with this envy and jealousy toward one another. They want the first place. Mark 9, 33-34, they came to Capernaum. When He was in the house, He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Can you imagine arguing about this? They were arguing about this. Jesus' disciples. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. (laughs) 
I'm greater than you are. No, 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 I'm greater than you are. Jesus called you Satan, Peter. Never called me Satan. I mean, they argued about this. Who, who is the greatest? Beloved, we, we should see and note from this that envy is evil. En envy and, and jealousy is evil in God's sight. Proverbs 14.30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. There, there's a, a peacefulness and contentment and trusting that God uh, determines these seats and we can trust Him to do what's right and even be happy for our brothers and sisters if God chooses to grant them those seats. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Rot. Envy and jealousy will make your bones rot. In Matthew 27, 18, we learned that it was envy that led sinners to deliver Christ up to death. It was envy that killed Jesus, that led to His death. For He, Pilate, knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered Jesus up. God the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter warns us not to be envious. 1 Peter 2.1 Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Beloved, we must fight envy. This envy that made the disciples angry and indignant. We must fight this by being satisfied in God and trusting God and loving others. John Piper says, Envy seems to be born of a restless heart that does not find God satisfying. We are craving and we are yearning. We are aching toward what somebody else has because God Himself is not satisfying our soul. So envy is a wanting of something. Some gift or some ability or some looks or something that somebody else has with one of two feelings that make it bad. Either you have resentment that they have it and you don't and so your heart is irritated not just that you want it but that they have it and you don't. And that is loveless. When you are upset that somebody else has something and we don't have it, and it makes us irritated and angry, we know that lovelessness has gripped our soul. Or we feel discontent. Not just resentment that they have it, but a discontent in our own soul that makes us distrustful of God or angry at God. We might say to God, why didn't you give it to me? Why do they have it and I don't? Why did you withhold this from me? And yet, beloved, apply, apply what Piper says to the disciples here. What do these disciples have? They have Jesus. They have Jesus. They, they were with Jesus. They would be with Him forever. Is Jesus not enough? Next, Jesus is going to tell them how to live. To be a servant, to be a slave. And that He's going to die for them. We, we can trust Jesus that He knows best. He does what's right. He's going to tell us how to live for His glory and our good. And these disciples must grow in love for each other. And what want, they must want what God wants and has planned for their fellow disciples. We, we must be happy for others in what God is doing in their lives and, and, and want what God has planned for their lives to take place and know that God knows best and trust Him. There's a, a prayer that I, I love that goes like this, that others may be loved more than I, 
Lord, let, let others be loved more than I am. Lord, let others be chosen and I set aside. Lord, let others be praised and I unnoticed. Lord, may, may others become more holy than I am as long as I am made as holy as I should be. Oh, Father, please grant me the grace to desire it. Oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, please make my heart like Yours. Next, we see Jesus teaches that to be great and to be first, you must be the slave of all and serve like Jesus. Look at verses 25 through 28. But, as, but Jesus called them to Him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus here gives an illustration of how the world leads. Gentile rulers lord it over those they lead. And Jesus contrasts this way of leading with service. Jesus turns worldly values upside down. In Jesus' kingdom, slaves do the leading. Jesus' disciples should serve in humility. This is true greatness in God's eyes. I mean, think about the examples that, that the disciples would have had in their day of Gentile rulers, these Roman oppressors. I mean, think of Herod, right? As soon as Jesus is born, how does Herod use his authority? He has the, the, all those little babies slaughtered. He mingles blood of Jews with the sacrifices. I mean, he, he, the Roman government crucified the Lord of glory. That's how they lead. Jesus says, not so with you. You should serve people that you lead. You care for them, provide for them, help them. This same word, lorded over here in, in Matthew 20, is used in 1 Peter 5 as an exhortation for how pastors should shepherd their people. 1 Peter 5, 2-3 Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so pastors are to lead and serve by example and they're to show their people where they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to do from the Word of God. And be patient and kind and loving and encouraging and serve people. Ligon Duncan comments, holding an office like elder, pastor, deacon in the church is not what makes you great. We should learn that. It's not about holding office. The great ones are the most humble ones. The great ones are people like the widow. Remember the widow who gave away everything she had to live on? She'll be a great one in heaven. Or what about the sinner woman? The woman who was a sinner that washed Jesus' feet with her hair in tears and loved much because she was forgiven much. She'll be one of the great ones. 
What about my, one of my favorite women in the Bible, the Syrophoenician woman, who comes to Jesus for her little daughter to be healed, and the disciples say, go away. Jesus ignores her. Jesus says, I didn't come for you. Jesus says, it's not good for me to help you. Jesus says, I don't give bread to the dogs. Mm-mm-mm. Jesus will be crucified today for such a statement. Jesus would be crucified today for calling a Gentile a dog. You think they'd love Jesus today in our culture? He'd be crucified quicker than He was last time. He called her a dog. And what did she do? Don't insult me like that. Huh. I have rights. I have dignity. That's not what she did. She said, yes, Lord. I'll be your little dog. I'll be whatever you say I am. Because you're the Lord of glory who created me and the dog. Bow to you, King Jesus. I'm your dog. I'm whatever you say. And I'll do whatever you say. Because you're the King of glory. And that amazed Jesus. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you ask. She'll be great in heaven. Beloved, do you go low that way? Do you go low that way? That's what Jesus wants of us. More humility. More humility. More humility. Because Jesus says in verse 26, after He uses the Gentile rulers who lord it over, He says in verse 26, it shall not be so among you. Beloved, it's not wrong to want to be great. Did you notice that in the text? It's not wrong to want to be great. Verses 26 and 27. Look what Jesus says. But whoever would be great, he's he's actually appealing to your desire to be great for what he's going to tell you to do. But if you would be great, you want to be great? You want to be first? Listen to me. You see that? It's not wrong to want to be first. It's not wrong to want to be great. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. You have to do it Jesus' way. You have to do it Jesus' way. Jesus calls His disciples to be servants and slaves like Him. And I tried to think about ways in the Bible in which uh, slaves were treated and the way Jesus lived to illustrate for us what that means. What does that mean to be a slave to other people? What what does it mean to be a servant to other people? Well, number one, as slaves, we will set aside our rights and riches for the sake of others. What rights do slaves have? What rights do they have? They don't have any rights. They don't own anything. Their master owns everything. Their master does whatever he wants with them. As slaves, we will set aside our rights and riches for the sake of others. Jesus left His rights and riches to come to earth and save us. Jesus died on that cross. And and we must die to self for the sake of others. 
Beloved, pray that God would help me and you and our church to grow in this. Philippians 2, 3-4 Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Children, do you do that? Young, young people, when, when, you're, when you're spending time with one another, do you consider the other more important and significant than yourself? You know what that's going to absolutely cut out? Calling each other names? Fighting with one another? If you consider the other person better than yourself, it, it's like, uh, think of some hero you'd love to meet. Maybe it's a, a, a music star or, or a, an athlete. Maybe, maybe you all want to meet Jalen Hurts. And if you met Jalen Hurts, oh, you would be so kind and you would you know, get, get everything ready. You'd be so nice and you'd be so excited. Or pick whoever you like, Ronaldo, the soccer dude. Somebody you really admire and you, you're going to be in their presence. How would you treat them? How would you treat them? You would honor them. You would say, yes, sir, no, sir. You, you would treat them with respect. This is saying you should treat everybody else in your life, the kids you play with, the people you say, like that person you highly revere. Like Jesus, who you should revere higher than anyone else, that we treat each other like Jesus. There's no name calling in that. They called Jesus names when they crucified Him. You're acting like the Romans when you call each other names. And crucifying the Lord of glory. When you mock one another, you're acting like the wicked men who crucified Christ, young people. It's serious business. God says flee from that. Flee from that and love one another. Serve one another. Be their slave, which means you set aside, your right, set aside your rights and riches for the sake of others. Husbands and wives. Do you consider one another more significant than yourselves? You think not about your own interests, but the interests of your husband, your wife, in our church relationships. Do you treat one another like this? And seek to, 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 to be slaves to one another. And set aside your rights and riches for the sake of the other. Those who are hard to love, do you do this with? Those who you view as lower than you, which you shouldn't. <laughs> Beloved, pray, that, pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. Lord, help me do nothing. Help our church do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, help us to count others more significant than ourselves. Lord, let us not think of our own interests, but help us think of the interests of others. For Jesus' sake, amen. Second, as slaves, we will view others as our owners. Uh-oh. Yes. Yeah, if you're a slave, somebody owns you. And so Jesus tells me, that, 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 that Michael's, I'm Michael's slave. I'm Steve's slave. I'm Robert's slave. I'm Jay's slave. What does that mean? What does that mean that I'm Steve's slave? 
as slaves. Steve owns me. Jay owns me. That's what it means. What does that mean? Well, they are my owners in the sense that I owe them love. I, I, somebody who owns me, I owe them something. And the Bible says that I owe them love. And Jesus is the only man who ever lived who loves his neighbor as himself and loves himself, uh, uh, only one who loves his neighbor as he loves himself perfectly. Jesus is the only one who did that perfectly. And I'm to follow in his example. And, and I'm to love my neighbor as I love myself. Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Beloved, do you look at one another that way? I owe, uh, Steve owns me in the sense that I owe him love. Howard owns me in the sense that I owe him love. Keisha owns me as her slave in the sense that I owe her love. Third, as slaves, we will work hard to meet others' needs. If I'm a slave, I'm, I'm a worker and I'm to, to meet the needs of my master. And I'm to work hard. As slaves, we will work hard to meet others' needs. Jesus came to meet our greatest need, salvation. Jesus came to meet our greatest need, salvation, and we're to follow in His example. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We see the Christians in Corinth do this for one another. Or Paul wrote to the Christians in, in Corinth about the Christians in Macedonia who did this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And of course they did this because of Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. And so as slaves, we will work hard to meet others' needs. I wonder if you ask yourself, whose needs in this congregation am I working hard to meet? For as slaves, we will sacrifice for others. We will sacrifice for others. Jesus gave us the greatest sacrifice on the cross. Jesus acted like a slave when He took His outer garments off and humbled Himself and washed His disciples' feet. And beloved, we're, we're to do the same for others. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
We're to offer our whole selves as a sacrifice to God and, and to sacrifice for others. As slaves, we will serve others. As slaves, we will serve others. Slaves, serve others. Jesus served us perfectly by the way that He loved and gave Himself up to death for us. And then calls us to go and do likewise and serve others. Galatians 5, 13-14 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. As slaves, in humility, we will realize we deserve nothing but hell. But Jesus saves. Friend, I want to make sure you realize I'm, 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 I'm talking about this because it's in the text. Because I think somebody's going to get mad. <laughs> I think somebody's going to send me an email about talking about being slaves to people. Well, you take it up with Christ. You take it up with the King of glory. Because He called me to preach His Word. And He says, let me just read it again. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And that word in the Greek is doulos. In the Greek it means slave. As slaves in humility, we will realize that we deserve nothing but hell. But Jesus saves. Nehemiah 8.10 The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Friends, I, I know some of you get really depressed when I talk about hell. And I just pray you'd get it someday. I, I pray that someday you'd get it. <laughs> I pray you'd get it someday. Because it will be a mountain. It, uh, it will be a Mount Everest of joy for you when you get this. That the more a preacher preaches you into hell and then lifts you up to heaven through Christ, you're going to have so much joy. You're going to see Christ is so great and glorious and beautiful. You've got to get this. Pray that God would, would bring this to your attention. You want a preacher that preaches about hell as much as Jesus. Jesus preached about hell more than everybody in the Bible combined. Isaiah, Daniel, everybody take them all. Moses, Jeremiah, put them all together. Jesus talked about hell more. Jesus is the joy giver. He's the one who delivers from hell. And friend, if you get this, you will skip out of here with joy because all we deserve is hell. And Jesus gives us heaven. Luke 17, 7-10 Will any one of you who has a servant, a slave, plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty? Beloved, slaves don't get paid. <laughs> slaves don't get paid. I mean, one of the things it means for me to be Steve's slave is that I love him and serve him, and if he never thanks me, he never gives me an acknowledgement, he's never nice to me, he never does anything in return, then I don't care! I'm his slave! He owns me! 
I'm not out here looking. Thank me. Please thank me. Please. I'm not looking for the pat on the back. I'm his slave. He owns me. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't deserve anything but hell. That's all I deserve. And Jesus gives me heaven. Slaves don't get paid. We're not looking for reward and recognition in this life. We're not. That's what Jesus is saying. We're not looking for reward or recognition or thanks or praise or pats on the back or anything in this life. We will get our reward from God at the resurrection of the righteous. That's what we live for. We're living for the smile of God. We're living from the smile of God and we're living for the smile of God. Jesus is our reward. And thank you, congregation. I can't mention all of them, but I'll mention some that I've thought of recently and seen recently. Jerry Evans taking his, 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 his labor day, uh, all, almost all of his labor day, in the hot sun, caulking the church building. Who notices? God does. God does. Paul Finkelston. All this work. All this work during the heat wave, he, he did all this by himself, hours. He, he's sometimes in the building till like 11 o'clock. I'm like, Paul, you need to go home. Who notices? God does. Lois Harris, every time we have communion, she sets it up. Who notices? God does. The counters that count the, 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 the offerings. Who notices? God does. Keisha and Becky Osborne. Loving me in in a special way. Nobody notices. God does. Becky Scudder. And Steve DeHaze. Loving the Afghan family. Who notices? God does. And they will be rewarded at the resurrection of the just. And that's what we live for. That's what we live for. We are able, beloved, to be true slaves and servants to others only if we first are slaves and servants of God. We set aside our rights and riches first and foremost for Christ. We realize we're owned by God. We're slaves of God first and foremost. We work at our salvation. We work hard in that we work at our salvation with fear and trembling. We sacrifice for Jesus first and foremost. We serve God by His grace and for His glory. We humble ourselves knowing that we've sinned against God and deserve hell. But in Christ, we have salvation and all we ever need, we find in Christ. I I just thought of my food helpers. Monette and Ted and Rob and, and George helping with the food. Jay's been coming. Who notices? God does. And we can do this because we have everything in Christ. We, we deserve hell, but we have everything in Christ. This is a ripped off quote from St. Augustine, but it sort of spruced up a bit. He that has everything but does not have Christ, has nothing. He that has nothing, but Christ, has everything. He that has everything and has Christ, 
does not have anything more than he that has Christ alone. (laughs) We have everything in Christ. And beloved, Jesus in this text tells us that he gave himself as the ultimate example of humble, costly service. Jesus Christ is the ultimate slave. Jesus is the slave of slaves. Verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That language comes from Isaiah 53, the servant song, the slave song. Isaiah 53, 11-12, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge, so the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Philippians 2, 5-11 Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. This comes, beloved, right after that command to consider others more significant than yourselves and, and to think not only of your own interests but the interests of others. How do we do that? How do we do that? We look to Christ. Philippians 2, 5-11 Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though He was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made Himself nothing taking the form of a slave. Our translations often translate slave servant to make it more uh, edible for us. It's slave. It's doulos. Jesus. Jesus taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient at the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the slave of slaves. James, John, and their mother came asking for a gift. Jesus is the greatest gift. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are our only hope of being forgiven and being the slave of all for the glory of God. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Notice that. Jesus came not to be served. I love an article that John Piper wrote to pastors. Brothers, tell your people not to serve God. Piper loves to do really uh, uh, catchy things like that that catches your attention. Tell your people not to serve God. Tell your people not to serve God. Only Baptist Church, don't serve God. Because the text here says Jesus came not to be served. What, why, why would, now there is a sense in which you should serve God, right? So that's what causing the, what is he talking about? Is he crazy? What, what, what does it mean to tell your people not to serve God? What does that mean? There is a sense in which you should not serve God. There is a sense in which if you serve God, it's deadly for your soul. What is that sense? Well, Acts 17, 24-25 says this, The God who made the world... And everything in it, 
is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And He is not served. He is not served. He is not served. Don't serve God. He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Because He gives all men life and breath and everything else. We don't serve. God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need me to be the pastor of Oni Baptist Church. He does not need me at all. Oni Baptist Church would be fine without me. God doesn't need Oni Baptist Church. God doesn't need us for anything. He's absolutely self-sufficient. And if we come to God and serve in such a way, God, God, He's lucky to have me on His team. It's good that God has me. Woo! Don't serve God, brothers and sisters, like that. God doesn't need us. He's not served with human hands as though He needed anything. Don't serve God. Let God serve you. Let God serve you first and foremost so that then you might serve God rightly. Isaiah 64.4 From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. Oh, God has seen a God besides thee who works for those who wait for Him. Wait for God, beloved. Wait for Him. Let Him serve you first. Let Him serve you first. Look to what He's done. Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. He died on that cross and rose from the dead to save you from your sins. And you can receive that by faith alone, not by working. To him who does not work, Romans 4, 5, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And when you go out to serve God, do it as 1 Peter 4, 11 says. Serve in the strength that God supplies so that in all things God may get the glory good little, little way to do that that I've shared with you before, APTAT, A-P-T-A-T. Another thing from Piper. A, acknowledge I can't do it. Lord, I can't finish this sermon on my own. I can't finish these few minutes on my own. Please help me, God. I, A-P, pray. Help me, God. A, acknowledge is the first A. P is pray. Uh, A-P-T, trust. Trust that God is going to be with me. A-P-T-A, act. I have to preach. I have to finish it. God's not going to finish it for me. i got to finish the sermon. And then when it's done, thank Him. A-P-T-A-T. Acknowledge your neediness. Pray for God's help. Trust His promises. A-P-T-A. Act. And then thank Him. Thank Him. A little prayer that you can do for anything. Making dinner this afternoon. The more you realize you need God to help you make dinner, the more He's glorified. Do all that you do in His strength and in all things, He gets the glory. So Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus gave us the greatest gift in the universe, Himself. Jesus is the greatest gift of righteousness. He's the greatest gift of reconciliation and peace with God. He's the greatest gift of a relationship with anyone. He's the greatest gift of status. He's the greatest gift of power. He's the greatest gift of wealth. He's the greatest gift of glory. He's the greatest gift of joy and happiness and satisfaction. And Jesus is our ransom. Notice in the text, beloved, it says Jesus gave Himself as a ransom for many. What is a ransom? This is, this is slave language. We, we were slaves of sin, death, and hell. Slaves of sin, death, and hell. And Jesus bought us back. Jesus bought us out of that. He ransomed us. He paid a price. His own blood. That we could be bought back for God. Now, there's some craziness out there that says Jesus paid the ransom to Satan. That's foolishness. 
That's wrong. Jesus didn't pay nothing to Satan. He paid the ransom price to God. He paid the price to God. We owe God our lives because of our sin. We owe Him hell. We owe God eternity in hell. Jesus paid the price for that to buy us back for God. And He's the only one that did that. He's the only one that did that. Nobody else did that. Muhammad's dead. We were at a prayer meeting last night for Muslims and Ted was praying, Muhammad's dead, but Jesus is alive. Amen. Muhammad can't buy you back. He's dead. He, he's in hell. Buddha. Shop right yesterday. Handing a track out. I don't want when I'm Buddhist. We love to give him to Buddhist. Buddha's dead. He can't save you. Jesus paid the ransom. Jesus paid God the price that we should have paid God. Jesus died in our place. Jesus bore the anger of God so that we never will. Jesus is our substitute. And now Jesus owns us. So that we can serve others. We've seen that Jesus teach that suffering and sacrifice must come before honor. And true greatness is found in humbly serving others even as Jesus did. When He gave the ultimate example of service, His death on that cross. Jesus became the slave of all and ransomed His people from the fall by giving the greatest gift of all. James and John want a real high seat. To them, the glory is really sweet. Their faith is mixed with pride, conceit. Yet Jesus loves His erring sheep. He'll redirect their prideful bleat. He died to make them whole, complete. He bowed down and washed their feet. He gave His life, the life elite. And like a slave, His back was beat. The Father's wrath, He'd head on meet. When on that cross, His blood secrete, and all His people's sins delete. He rose up from the dead complete. The devil, hell, and sin defeat. And at the table we will eat. At His table we will eat. Who trust in Him, hate sin, deceit. In Christ we never shall retreat, but die to self and serve discreet. To serve like Him, we will repeat. He changes hearts that do compete. It's others' needs we'll seek to meet. All because He took the heat and made our lives with Him so sweet. The bitter cup our Savior drank, He paid the ransom with no bank. All evils, hopes, and dreams He sank, for He's our rock, our battle tank. Above all powers, He holds rank, and Him forever we will thank. Our Christ became the greatest slave. He served the lowest sinful knave and gave His life for those depraved, so all His people He could save. His precious life for us He gave and faced the Father's wrath so brave. He died. They placed Him in a cave. But then He rose up from the grave so all your sins our God could wave. The path to righteousness He'd pave and change the way that you behave. Upon His palms your name's engraved and now by faith you'll be His slave and Him above all things you'll crave. Christ Jesus was the greatest slave. He came to serve and love and save. Though in perfection He'd behave, He drank God's wrath tsunami wave. He died but then rose from the grave. By faith alone, all sin he'd wave. God with Christ's righteousness did pave. On his palms he did engrave us, his loved ones, Christ he gave. And Christ is all our love 
our crave. So now we're others, humble slave, and love and serve like Christ the brave, our ransom joy who came to save. Father, we thank You for our Savior. We thank You for Jesus who makes all of this possible for us to serve one another and be slaves to one another. We thank You that Jesus came as the slave of slaves and died and gave Himself a ransom for many. We thank You, Lord, that You chose to include us in that many when You, have went, you would have been just and righteous to leave us to our sin and to death and hell. But You chose us, God. You predestined us. You chose us before the foundation of the world to be among the many that Christ ransomed. Lord, we thank You for that. Father, we pray that we would get that, that we would know the love of Christ, that we would be secure in Your love and uh, be secure in who we are in Jesus. And Father, we pray that You would teach us more and more what it means to serve one another, what it means to be slaves to one another. Lord, help us, God, grow in that as a church. Help us grow in that as individuals. Help me grow in that as a pastor. Lord, we want to be different. And so we ask God, that you would be at work in our church to make us all that you want us to be, that we would, we, would, we would hear this word and apply it, that your spirit would work and help us to hear what the spirit says to Only Baptist Church today. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.